Good morning. How about that worship this morning, huh? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Good thing we had announcements to recover. Uh, listen, if, if you uh, would be so kind, we, we would ask you to consider uh, serving in our children's ministry to say yes to the next generation. And, uh, and please, uh, you can talk with somebody, put your name in the bulletin, uh, tear out, and, and let us know if you'd be interested in doing that. My name is Jeremiah, and I am an Ebling. And the Eblings are Texans. But we passed through Missouri on our way to this great state. That's right, the Eblings, we lived in Missouri for several decades before my grandparents, they loaded up my dad and, and his siblings, and then they just got in the car and drove until they ran out of gas in Brownwood, Texas. That was about 45 years ago. And why, you might ask, did the Eblings move to Texas? Why do we come here? Well, first, because it's Texas. Right? I mean, you don't need any other reasons than that. But we also moved here because Missouri, if you've been there or lived there, you'll know it was miserably cold for several months out of the year. And the Ebling family, we were farmers. And, of course, farmers spent a lot of their day outside. But it, it wasn't just the biting winds that were hard on the hands and, and even harder on the crops. It was also the snow. And even occasionally these, the blizzards. That's right. The, the blizzards in Missouri, they could come on quickly, and when they would hit and, and they'd be blowing full force, you wouldn't be able to see your own hand in front of your face. You, you would, if you had to venture out in one of these blizzards, or, or maybe one was in the forecast and, and you thought it might hit, you had to go out to feed the cows or something, what you would do to make sure you could make it home safely is you would tie a cord from the back door of your house to the barn that you could hold on to in case one of these, these blizzards hit, and make it back home safely. In fact, there are stories of people who would freeze to death in their own backyards just a few feet away from their back door because they had nothing to guide them home when the swirling and, and, and madness of those winds hit. And, and, and they would die right there, right outside of their home, not even knowing how close they were. That is why the Eblings left Missouri. And I tell you this uh, because it's an appropriate metaphor for what many of our lives have become, have they not? I mean, when you think about just the way you live from, from Sunday through Saturday, uh, I mean, isn't it true probably for you too that, that we live in this, this hurried and, and, and at this dizzying pace, and, and it can feel like we are lost at times in our own backyard, unable to get home. We're so close, and yet we can't get there just because of the incredible pace that we keep up. It, it's, it's unsustainable, isn't it? And, and these blizzards that come into our lives, they come when we can't or we won't say no. They come when, when we go, 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 and, and never stop, or when we lack margin in our life. That, that's when they hit, and, and they come on strong, and you don't even see them coming sometimes. And for many of us, what happens is that what, what happens with, with the pace of life that we have set is that we, we tend to neglect our bodies. We don't care for our souls. We overlook the, the state of our spirits. And, and I want to give you a quick 10-second diagnostic, okay? I want to show you two lists, and I want you to consider as you look at these two lists, which one describes the way that you feel most days, okay? Most days, which one of these resonates more with you? Here's the first list. Exhausted, hurried, overscheduled, stressed, frustrated, preoccupied, fatigued, okay? And now the second Calm, peaceful, hopeful, trusting, rested, 
encouraged, balanced. That blue one sounds wonderful, doesn't it? And yet it is so far from what most of us experience each and every day. Unless we're on vacation. No, no, even vacations are more of the red than they are the blue, aren't they? I don't know about how you vacation, but man, we come home exhausted. We, we are living, most of us, maybe even all of us, are living at an unsustainable pace. Right? We go and we don't stop. We don't even know how to stop anymore. We are too busy, and if we aren't busy, we are guilty. We feel guilty that we aren't busy. It's all very sick, isn't it? And if you've lived more than a few decades, I'll bet you'll agree with this, that, that however stressed and fatigued you are right now, if you just live a few more years and, and move a couple life stages down the road, you will look back on where you are right now and you will say these words. You will say, I wish I had it that easy again. Right? Have you said that before? Because when I was in grad school and Dane and I had just been married for a year or two and we had our, our first son, Luke, and I was working a part-time job the days were so long that I felt like I was juggling bowling balls, just trying to keep up. And then now, a decade later, and a few more little human beings later, I look back on that time, and I say, you know what? Those, those bowling balls I was juggling, those were actually just wiffle balls. You know, that was the last time I think that I was able to watch a movie without falling asleep in every single one of them. My kids, they will, they will literally, they will put bets down on how quickly dad will fall asleep in our Friday family movie nights. Every Friday, without, a, with, without missing one, I'm going to fall asleep. We look back and say, I wish I could have it that easy again. And, and the reality is, no matter how, how busy, no matter how crazy life is right now, it is probably only going to intensify. Isn't that discouraging? <laughs> it's only getting worse from here. That is likely not going to change. But what if you did? What if you made a change that, that could sustain you, that could steady you, a, a change that would help you more often than not, more days than not, to, to experience some of those adjectives described on, on that blue list and not on the red one? What if you did that? That's why I'm here this morning. I, I've come today because I want to tell you about a, a tether that God is offering you, that will lead you home, that will lead you back to him safely and securely back to him at the end of, of a busy and hurried week. That's what I want to tell you about today. This is a cord that you can hold on to, and, and more importantly, will hold on to you, that will lead you back to God and will help you to recenter yourself in him. That'll help you to experience more of what's on that blue list and less of what's on the red. Okay, and that, that cord, that tether I want to tell you about today, it's called the Sabbath. And what is a Sabbath? A Sabbath, it's just a, it's a word that translates to Hebrew word Shabbat, which simply means to cease, to stop working, to rest for a 24-hour period each week. And, and I want to tell you that the Sabbath, it is such an integral aspect of how we're supposed to be living our lives that, that these words came to Moses from the very lips of God, and they made it into the greatest set of laws ever given to mankind, the Ten Commandments. And this fourth commandment, among those ten, this fourth commandment, it is the longest, it is the most detailed of all the commandments, and that's not a mistake. Okay, these words would be etched in stone, so God didn't waste any words when he gave them to Moses. But I, I want to read again. If you've seen it before, I want you to see it again. 
this fourth commandment. I'll, let's read it out of Exodus chapter 20. It's in verses 8 through 10, and it's not going to be on the screen, so turn over in your Bibles if you want to follow along. In Exodus chapter 20, the, the second book of the Bible, in verse 8, these are the words that God gives to Moses that he instructs Israel with concerning the Sabbath. The Lord says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Is that everybody? I think that's everybody. And, and I want you to imagine if you were standing there when Moses, when he relayed this fourth commandment, uh, to the people of God. I want you to imagine that you were there and, and you can't remember a time in your life when you weren't a prisoner under the thumb of the Pharaoh, just like your parents had been. Hey, and, and you had laid bricks as slave labor every single day of your life. Hey, and there were no coffee breaks, no vacation days, no personal days off, no family leave with reduced pay when you had a kid, none of that. And, and then by a miracle of God, he leads you out of this nation. He, he make, you make this daring escape. Uh, out of that nation. And, and then the leader, Moses, he goes on to a mountain. He ascends this mountain, and, and he's there for 40 days. And when he comes back, he says, look, there are a few things that the Lord requires of you. There's a few things he's asking us as a nation to do. And one of those things is as you move into this new country and as you find a job and as you begin to work and provide for yourself and your family, I want you to take a break. Take a vacation day once a week. If you were in that setting, right, if you were standing there in that context, what kind of news would that be? I can stop for a whole day, right? I get to vacation 24 hours every single week. This is amazing. This, this, was, this was so freeing to the nation of Israel. But then there's us, right? And we hear that command and we say, really, God? I, I have to Sabbath? This is something you're telling me to do? That sounds so restrictive, so confining. I've got a lot of work to do, God. Right? And, and how ironic that what God meant to be this cold glass of water on a hot August day, what he intended to free us from slavery to our work, we turn it into a prison. Right? We see it as confining. And why is that? You know, why don't we Sabbath? Why do we see it, it I don't know, in such a different way than it was intended to be, than, than the heart of God certainly wanted it to be taken by us? Why don't we Sabbath? I think there are at least three reasons that we don't Sabbath, maybe even the top three that I'll suggest to you. And one of them is Pharisees. We don't Sabbath. We see it as, as a chore, uh, I think partly because of the Pharisees. And when you look at the Gospels, what you see is that the Pharisees, they took this gift of the Sabbath and, and they messed it up so badly that, that the majority of the time the word Sabbath is used in the Gospels, it's not a blessing. It's a curse. Right? The, the Pharisees, instead of opening this gift that God had given, given to them in the nation of Israel, instead of opening it and enjoying it, they used it as, as another brick that, that they were building in this, this wall of legalism that would keep them safe from God and far from him. And so I think what we do is we go to the other side and we react to the abuse of the Sabbath by the Pharisees. And, and instead of using it as an opportunity for legalism, I think what we do is we ignore it. And we say, we'll just, we'll just leave that over here. I think Pharisees may be one of the reasons that we don't Sabbath. The second one is distraction. We must stay distracted. And how do we do that? We're always moving. We're always working. We're always talking. We don't stop. Blaise Pascal in his famous Ponce's, he said that every single one of us, every moment of every day, 
We keep ourselves busy and distracted. And why? It's so that we won't have to sit and, and reflect on who we really are. We won't have to face God himself. He says that if we were to ever quiet our souls long enough to, to see reality, that we, we wouldn't be able to bear the weight of being confronted by the truth about the world and the truth about us. So we distract ourselves. We just keep going. A third reason, and maybe even the most important, is Messiah complex. I think we run from the Sabbath because we think so highly of ourselves, don't we? We think we are needed, that we are necessary, that we are so much more important than we are. And, and so, so we never stop, right? We, we think we have to keep things moving in our little world because if we don't, it's all going to come to a grinding halt. Or maybe worse yet, that, that if we weren't kind of master of our own little universe, that it would continue to run just fine without us. And we don't want to know if it would. I tell you, I think there's a, a sobering but liberating reality that for each one of us, when you think about your work and you think about the, the various places of influence that you have, if you were to leave them tomorrow, you would be replaced within four weeks. You'd be forgotten in eight weeks. Oh, we don't want to think about that. I think Messiah complex may be another reason that we don't Sabbath. So we ignore the Sabbath as opposed to the error of the Pharisees. We distract ourselves. We stay busy. And then finally, we got to keep working because it's all up to us. Right? It's that Messiah complex. I think those are some of the reasons that, that we run from Sabbathing, from, from stopping. But look, when you read Exodus 20, there was a verse right after verse 10 that we didn't get to. And what it does, this verse 11 in Exodus 20, it, it shows us that there is something deeper going on with the Sabbath. And, and what it does is it anchors the Sabbath in the original, the very first Sabbath that God himself took in Genesis chapter 2. And this is what it says in Exodus 20, 11. The Lord says, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. You've probably heard that verse before, and it's, it's a restatement of Genesis chapter 2, the first couple of verses that you find in that chapter. And, and what we find there is that, that after the Lord was, was finished fashioning the universe, even, even he vacationed for a day. Right? He rested. He stopped. He Sabbathed. And we see that, that even the Lord introduced this in, into his schedule. And so the Sabbath, look, it is for all people at all times, whether an Old Testament believer or a New Testament believer, whether a Christian or a non-Christian. And the reason is because it goes all the way back to Genesis 2, right after the Lord he finished his work of creation and he Sabbathed. It is established by his own Sabbath. Say so this is before the fall, this is before the law, this is before the, uh, Moses or the nation of Israel. This is for all people at all times. And, and maybe you're with me where, where you've, you've been curious about why did God take a Sabbath? Why did God take a day off? Why did he rest? What was he doing? Because he doesn't, he doesn't need extra naps, right? He has endless strength. He doesn't grow weary. Well, I think one thing that he was certainly doing on his Sabbath is he was enjoying the magnificence of what he created he was taking a step back, and just like he does several times in Genesis 1, he saw what he had made, and he said, wow, now that is good. I think that's certainly one thing that God is doing. But a second thing God's doing is, is he is living himself. He's living by this rhythm of work and then rest, work and then rest that, that he calls us to. 
He showed us that, that even he submits himself to that rhythm that he has built for our lives. And so what do we do when we Sabbath? Well, first we look at, at what we've produced. We look at the work of our hands from the previous six days and we enjoy that. We say, that, that's awesome. That was fun. Thank you, Lord, for giving me that work to do. So we stop and enjoy. But then second, we also submit ourselves to this rhythm of work and then rest, of work and then rest, just like, just like God did, like he lives by and, and, and like he made us to need. And, and so let me ask you this. Are you wondering why your body is always fatigued? Are you wondering why your soul is regularly discouraged? Maybe why your spirit is so dry so much of the time, why it feels distant from God. If that is, is a regular part of your experience, I would like to suggest to you that it could be in part a result of not taking the Sabbath seriously that God asks us to take. It may not be the whole reason. It definitely isn't the whole reason, but it may very well be a factor and maybe even an important factor in how you've gotten to where you are today. And if you would be interested in taking me up on this, if you would like to take God seriously on, on this invitation to a Sabbath, then, then it's, it's pretty simple. I mean, I think the first thing you would do is you'd establish a, a 24-hour period in your week where you say, I'm, I'm going to Sabbath. This is, this is the day I'm going to do it. And maybe it's a Saturday or Sunday. For most of us, that's what it'll be. But if you work on the weekends, then make it a day of the week. And it could be all day on a Sunday or it could be 6 p.m. one evening to 6 p.m. the next evening. Personally, I like that 6 to 6 option because it means I've got one evening every week where I know I can relax and I don't have to set an alarm the next morning for work. And I like that. But you, f- you figure out what, what day is it going to be? What's that schedule going to be like for you? And, and look, if you think this is uh, maybe a little bit too much to bite off at, at first, 24 straight hours, then can I ask you to, to start somewhere? You know, start with a six-hour Sabbath and then add an hour every week. And within four months, you'll be at the full 24 hours. But please, consider starting somewhere. And, and so what do you do? You know, what do you do when you Sabbath? What do you do for that 24 hours and what do you not do? That's what I want to talk about next, and I want to, I want to uh, help you understand the three elements that could be a part of your Sabbath. And the first element, the first part of your Sabbath is you stop, right? You stop. Sabbath literally means to stop or to cease. And so whatever else it entails, it certainly means you don't do the work that you do the other six days of the week. You leave those for the other six days. You stop doing that work for a, for a day, for a 24-hour period. And, and so if it's, you know, writing that English paper for the next week or working on the slides for the presentation you have to give um, at, at work the following week or if it's making dinner, if that's what you do most days, you stop doing those things for the whole day. You get to stop doing those things. And when you Sabbath, look, nothing measurable is going to be accomplished, and that's actually the point. See, uh, by the world standards and maybe even by ours, a Sabbath is going to feel inefficient, it's going to feel unproductive. And uh, when you first start Sabbathing, you may not be doing it right if you don't feel that way at first, right? The inefficiency, the un- just being unproductive. It, it'll be hard to enjoy it at first. But, but I, I want to encourage you to keep at it because when we stop, what we're doing is, is we are telling God, maybe in, in a, a way that we can't say it any more loudly, any more directly, we say to God, God, you are in control of my life. My faith is in you. And I relinquish sovereignty over my life to you. I'm giving that to you. One theologian even went as far as to say that the Sabbath and, and us responding to the Sabbath God has called us to is, is so important that to fail to see the value of simply being with God and doing nothing 
is to miss the heart of Christianity. Let me read that one more time. He said, to fail to see the value of simply being with God and doing nothing is to miss the heart of Christianity. You see, by stopping, we are recognizing that, that God is running the universe, that he is in charge of our lives, he is sovereign and not us. And, and that's what we communicate to him when, when we stop. And, and what's incredible is that when we stop, God is still working. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 127 when he writes this. He says, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early or retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. How amazing is it that when your trust is in God, that you are still clocked in and you're still getting stuff done even when your head is on that pillow and you are fast asleep. When you're dead to the world, he is still preparing you for that meeting the next morning. He is still watching over your kids. That's what happens. There's something mysterious about the Sabbath that I can't explain, but God is at work even when you sleep. Hey, he is preparing you for what's next and for what's coming, even as you rest and you trust him. Through the Sabbath, God is teaching us, as theologian Robert Barron put it, that after the full flowering of our achievements and activities, we are invited not to be active, not to accomplish, but to surrender and trust. It's action, then passivity, striving, then letting go, doing all one can do, and then being carried. Only in this rhythm is the Spirit realized. You see, this idea of stopping as a sign of our faith is one of the truths that, that distinguishes Christianity from all other religions. And the reason is because just about every other faith says you must work, 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 and then work some more. And most of the time, you have to keep working because it, it is out of fear that the God of that faith won't be pleased. Or it is out of insecurity over your eternal destiny or, or anxiety that it is all up to you. But Christianity says no. Christianity says that when we rest and when we stop, it means that we are trusting. It means we are saying, God, our faith is in you and in you alone. And that's what we communicate when we stop to rest, when we stop for the Sabbath. And, and it's what, what stands out about, about the Christian faith, about what Scripture says about what happens when we Sabbath. And so when we Sabbath, we stop. Author Marva Don, she says, she tells the story of a group of Christians long ago that traveled uh, the 2,000 miles from St. Louis to Oregon. Okay, a very long trip. It was by wagon train. And as they were traveling in the fall, they would stop to, to observe the Sabbath. They would stop every seventh day. But then as a winter got closer and closer, they realized that, that the snows were coming uh, as well and, and, and possible blizzards. And and so there was a cohort, a group of them that said, you know what, we need to start skipping the Sabbath. We need to travel all seven days so we can get to Oregon before the, the winter weather hits. And, and it was such a, a huge source of, of division among these Christians that they ended up dividing into two groups. One group continued to stop every, every six days. They would travel for six, and then they, they'd give their horses, and they'd give themselves a rest. And they continued to keep that Sabbath as they traveled to Oregon. The other group, they traveled all seven days. They never stopped for the Sabbath. And guess which group got to Oregon first? It was the group that never stopped, that didn't observe the Sabbath. Okay, I'm kidding. It wasn't them. It was the other group. It was the group that stopped, that traveled six days and stopped every seventh. And, and is it inexplicable? It absolutely is. Again, there is something mysterious going on. 
But God says, look, you, you live by this rhythm. Look, you trust me. You stop. You put your faith in me. I'll still be working, okay? And it'll be so much better than if you just plow through that Sabbath. Hey, and one more point I want to make before I move to our next one is if you are a stay-at-home mom and you have young kids at home, you're probably wondering, how on earth do I do this? Because the kids, they don't magically disappear when you take a day off for a Sabbath, right? They are still there tugging on, on you and, and asking for things and crying and yelling and everything else that they do. They don't leave. But I would suggest to you that you can still do this. Now, it will take a little more creativity, take a little more planning. It will take some help from your spouse. But, but look, on your Sabbath, if you're a stay-at-home mom with little kids, on your Sabbath, uh, there aren't going to be any clothes washed on, on that day. Okay, the only appliance in the kitchen that's going to be used is the microwave, not the oven. And your kids, they will be fine without a bath for a day. They really will. They'll need one the next morning either way. Just let it go. Okay? Ask your spouse to help you to have a Sabbath. But you can do this. And, and I would even suggest that, you know, a semi-successful Sabbath, you know, if, even if it didn't go well, that's probably better than what you're doing right now, is it not? Sabbathing means stopping. Consider, consider doing that introducing it into your weekly schedule. Second thing, second element that we do when we Sabbath is we recreate. Once we have stopped, the Sabbath calls us to recreate, literally to be recreated. Uh, this is like changing the engine oil on your car. It's like running the, the clean cycle on your washing machine, but for your body and soul and spirit. Okay, it replenishes you. It, it, it makes you new, all right? It restores you. And so, so what do you do to recreate on, on your Sabbath? Well, you do whatever you enjoy doing and whatever replenishes you. Anything that, that gets your mind off of the work that you do the other six days of the week, that'll work great. So napping, working out, going for a walk, uh, watching a movie you've wanted to see, eating at your favorite restaurant, uh, reading about football, watching football, playing football. I mean, really, the options are endless in terms of, of how you can recreate and enjoy and be replenished by, by this day off. You see, one of the things I want to convince you of is that when you do this, if you do this, okay, it is going to be so easy to feel guilty, feel like you're not doing much. And I want to ask you, please don't feel guilty about it. Okay, if you've been on one of those diets where there's a cheat day involved, okay, this is the equivalent of a cheat day, all right, in your week. So indulge, have at it, have fun. Okay, the Sabbath is this opportunity to move from fifth gear down to first, and, and to stop and take in the world around you. And so, you know, when you're eating a meal on your Sabbath, savor each bite. I roll the food around on your tongue. Let it hit every taste bud. When was the last time you did that? Take it in. You know, sit on your back porch and, and watch the tree branches sway in the wind. There's something incredible for our souls in, in just doing that, isn't there? Take in a sunset. And, and watch the incredible colors and hues that God uses to light up the sky. Hey, and, and when we recreate, this is also an opportunity to enjoy each other as well. So take your spouse or a significant other on a date. Uh, you could take a friend who makes you laugh a lot. Take, take them out to lunch or go get coffee with them. And then laugh a lot. And linger. Don't hurry. Right? Settle in. Stay longer than you would. If you have little kids and you're not with them most of the day, the other six days of the week, then take them out to a pool. Take them to a park on, on your day off, on, on your Sabbath. And then when you get home that afternoon, plan on a nap because you're going to be exhausted. Right? But, but these, are, these are the things we do. We slow down. 
Okay, we, we take in what God has, has put around us, and, and we take in his grace and his mercy as we do this. And after fighting the Sabbath for most of my life, about eight years ago, I finally decided to introduce this into my normal schedule. And i got to tell you that while, you know, the day of the week and, and what I do, my activities that day have changed significantly over that eight years, my Sabbath has become the absolute highlight of my week. I look forward to it the other six days of the week, every single week. And, and for Dana and I, we finally got all four of our kids in school uh, this past year for the first time. And so what we did, my, my Sabbath is during the week because of my job. And so what we would do is we'd go on breakfast dates. And I got to tell you, I didn't even know that was a thing until a year ago. So you could go out for breakfast on a date? No babysitters. There's no rush to get anywhere. We just sit and talk over a stack of pancakes at IHOP or Kirby Lane or something. You know, I'll go and, and play uh, disc golf with my brother or a friend or even just alone. And sometimes I'll even mow and edge the lawn because I'm weird. And I love mowing and edging my lawn. There's something so great about that for me. So when we Sabbath first, what do we do first? We stop. What do we do second? We recreate. And then third, we worship. When we Sabbath, we worship. The last element of any Sabbath is that we take time to be with our Creator. And throughout Jewish and Christian history, what you see is that, that um, they've always taken the Sabbath to worship God with fellow believers. And so, you know, you look at when a traditional uh, Jewish Sabbath is. It's Friday evening to Saturday evening when synagogue meets. The traditional Christian Sabbath has been Sunday when church usually meets. But even if your Sabbath isn't on a Sunday, take an opportunity. Read through a chapter of the Psalms. Find a quiet place to allow God to speak to you. You know, share with him what's on your mind. He wants to hear from you. Listen to music that reminds your heart of who God is and who you are. Okay, take time to reconnect with God. Allow his spirit to refresh your spirit. These are some things that we can do as we worship God on our Sabbath, on our day off. Okay, so, so we stop, we recreate, and then we worship. Those are the ingredients of a great day off. So let me ask you, what, what is keeping you from a Sabbath? What's keeping you from, from giving this a go? Is it one of those three reasons we mentioned earlier that, that you just have ignored it for most of your life? Or is it you prefer to stay distracted, not have to reflect? Uh, is it because you're a card-carrying member of the Little Messiahs Club? You know, if that last one is you, could I just suggest to you to consider that, that the actual Messiah when he was here, when he was here on this earth, with as much as he had to do and as little time as he had to do it, he stopped. He Sabbathed. He needed it just like he knows that you need it. Okay, one author described the Sabbath as uh, God giving us a snow day every single week. Isn't that a fun way to think about it? You remember back in elementary school when you'd get a snow day? If you grew up around here, it was because... It had snowed an eighth of an inch the night before, and so by 10.45 the next morning, it looked like that, right? Just everything is wet. It was, we never had snow days. We had wet days. But wasn't it great? You got a whole day off from school. The homework was done. You didn't have any plans. You couldn't have any plans, right? There's no pressures, no obligations, no schedule to follow. You just got to do what you enjoyed doing. That's what we're talking about today. That's what a Sabbath can be for you. Most of us would never, never give ourselves a snow day very often. And yet God offers it to us every single week. 
He gives this to us as a gift. Sure, he's commanded us to Sabbath. He said, you need to do this. But much more importantly, he's offered it to you as a gift. And he said, look, just receive this. Open it. Enjoy it. That's what God offers us in a Sabbath. Look, I know some of you here this morning, you've heard this message or something like it before. And then others of you, maybe you've never heard it until today. But wherever you are, I just want to ask you to consider, what are you going to do about this biblical truth for our lives that even the almighty God of the universe worked into his calendar? How is this truth going to change this next week for you and the weeks after that? As you walk out of here today, I want to ask you to do two things. Okay, do this. First, have a conversation. Hey, before you get up from the lunch table this afternoon, have a conversation with your husband or your wife, with your kids, with your roommate or a close friend. Have a conversation with those that you live with or live around about how you're going to start Sabbathing together as a family, as a household, or or as as friends. Okay, and, and talk about what day of the week it might be, what you're going to stop doing. Dream about what you might do to recreate and to worship the Lord together. Talk about, if you have kids, when you're going to put them down the night before so that you can prepare well to Sabbath. Okay, how is your week going to change in light of this, this truth from God's Word? Second thing I want to ask you to do is, is do this. Try it for four weeks. Okay, would you just give this a go for the next month? Okay, the craziness of fall, it is coming. It is upon us. School is starting Commitments are about to re-up. Would you consider doing this for the next four weeks? And, and I dare you. I, I challenge you to, to consider doing that. Okay, give God these next four weeks and say, God, I will give this a try one day for the next four weeks. And, and you see if God doesn't show up in, in a way you didn't expect. Okay, it will change. It will impact you. It'll, it'll change your household, maybe even the very mood of your home the other six days of the week. Okay, give it a go for four weeks. I'd ask you to consider doing that. I think you'll find that the Sabbath is this tether that God is offering each one of us that will lead us back to him, that will lead us to a place of deeper peace and rest at the end of a busy and hurried week. All right, try him on it, would you? Father, we ask that you would uh, be with each one of us, Father, that your spirit would uh, encourage us, embolden us to take that step and, and to give this a try for four weeks if we've never done this before. And I pray, Lord, that you would you'd show up in a significant way in, in the lives of, of each one of these men and women, Lord, who, who give this a try for the next four weeks. Lord, I pray that as we stop and, and as we slow down, that our trust and our faith in you would flourish, that, that we would find that you have always been working behind the scenes and that you continue to do so even when we rest. Lord, I pray that you would uh, allow us to be refreshed, to be renewed, uh, Lord, as we recreate, as, as we enjoy, Lord, this life you've given us and the people you've put around us, and we do that in a special way on, on this 24-hour period. And then, and Lord, I ask that as we worship you, that um, you would reveal something, something new. Remind us of something old that we've forgotten about you. Uh, some, show us something profound about yourself, Lord, as we stop to worship, to reflect on you, and to reconnect with you. Lord, we pray that you do that in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.